0: Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the next part of our meeting at Harvest. Uh, my name's Ben, in case I haven't met you already. I'm part of the leadership team here. I, I feel like I don't know if someone said about Pastor Clive being away still in Bogota and uh, whether I missed that at the start of the prayer meeting. So Pastor Clive, who's my father-in-law, uh, is away in Bogota for another four weeks, i Believe we got an update from them last night. He is going to preach two or three times this morning. We say two or three because you never quite know uh, in that part of the world how things are going to pan out. And uh, Sally, my Pastor Sally, my mother in law, is flying. Uh, well, she's in Miami now, so she flew overnight from Bogota to Miami. It's about a four hour plane journey. Uh, she flew, she arrived about 1 in the morning, I think and she's going to preach in the church in Miami this morning. So they are working hard over there and representing us all brilliantly, I'm sure. So um, we pray for them, we bless them while they're away. They've asked me to um, speak this morning and to continue our series on Keep the Change. So just so you don't forget what it's called, say to somebody near you, keep the change, keep the change, keep the change, keep the change. You keep that change, you keep that change. Because The principle we're working with is that at the start of this year, we want to see, you know, we're coming into a new season. We want to see God do good things among us. We don't want them to be things that happen. We change slightly for a period and then we fall back into the way that we were. The Christian life is about change, being transformed to be more like Jesus every single day and sticking with it. So that's how we're continuing this morning. So let me ask you, I wonder if you have ever reflected on what you'd love to be remembered for after you're gone. Even what sort of last words, what famous witty last words you might utter in those last moments of your life that people could really remember you by. The American comic W.C. Fields was apparently found reading his Bible on his deathbed. His wife said to him, what are you reading that for? He said, I'm looking for loopholes. (laughs) The... There was an American general, John Sedgefield, who fought during the uh, Civil War in America, uh, served in a number of campaigns. Apparently, he was uh, recklessly optimistic and fearless. He was wounded, shot three times, and kept going back to the uh, battle line. And in the last battle that he fought, he said to his men, don't worry, they couldn't hit an elephant from there. That that was his last words, and it didn't turn out so well for him. Some of you will think about that and get that after lunch. So um, the... Political activist and philosopher Karl Marx was asked by his housekeeper uh, whether he had any last words he wanted to share. And he shouted at her, Get out! Last words are for fools who haven't said enough already. Which I thought was an interesting insight into his take on life. Today we're going to look at some of the last words of the Apostle Paul. So in the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, we find it in the Bible in the second letter that he wrote to Timothy, to Timothy and most scholars agree that this was the last uh, letter that Paul wrote from, from prison. And Timothy, we know, was a spiritual son to him, one of the most faithful companions that he had, great disciple, someone who really shared Paul's heart and vision for the gospel, carried his kind of spiritual DNA. And so these are the, the last words, really, of a spiritual father to his spiritual son. And he has much... To say, to remind him of, to say, I'm, I'm not long for this world, but after I pass, these are some of the great things that I want you to hold on to that are true and real to live by. And so we break in uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, and we're going to read some of this this morning. I want to share some, some reflections from it with, with everybody And then over the next week, the devotion uh, is from this passage as well. So there's more opportunity to meditate on it, really get it into our system and learn what Paul would have us from and what the Holy Spirit would guide us in from this passage. So it's on the screens. And if you have a Bible, you're really welcome to read along and let me read this to us this morning. So yet this, Paul's just been writing about his, um, his place in prison, his suffering in prison. So yet this, my suffering is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Amazing words. Let's take a moment, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this message. We thank you for the words that Paul wrote to his spiritual son. We are convinced that there is much that we can learn from, from that this morning and in, in this next week uh, of reading these words together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll help us receive from these words. I pray you'll help me communicate all that's in my Heart and all that I believe you've been speaking to me about to share this morning. I pray for your help in this time. Amen. Amen. Well, at this point in time, um, Paul's in prison and he's writing to encourage Timothy that even though he's in prison, there's no cause for grief, there's no cause for being ashamed, there's no cause for being disappointed or hurt or put out of, uh, you know, thrown off your game or thrown. Off step. He's saying, actually, even though all these things are true, even though that difficulty is true, because of this thing that I know, there's there's no need to be put off or put down or downheartened or disappointed. This thing that I know keeps me going in that difficulty. And wouldn't you love to know what it is that Paul knows at this time? Wouldn't you love to know what it is that Paul takes such hope from, such encouragement from in that difficult situation. I'm sure we'd love to know that. And Paul says it's because he knows it. And he says, I know whom I have believed. And it's really quite striking that Paul, who was one of the greatest thinkers of that age, possibly one of the greatest theologians to have put pen to paper, one of the smartest guys going, people have written books and books about what he wrote his theology, if anybody had his, his thinking categorised, his notebooks collated and collected and written down in order, his bookshelf alphabetized from A through to Z about what he believed, surely it was Paul. For that guy, though, what was phenomenal. The scope of what he, of what he knew was vast. And yet in this last moment of his life he turns to a who, not a what. In that last time, it's not what he knows that gives him cause for hope or what he knows that means he's not ashamed or disappointed. It's who he knows in those moments. It's who he knows. You see, there's a difference between believing in a who versus believing in a what. And many of us may have heard the story of a Scottish missionary to the Pacific Islands. He went there to witness to the Gospels about the love of God and to share his faith with them. And as he was in that place, he wanted to translate the Bible into their native language. And working with them for a while, he understood there was no word in their language for believe or for faith. So he was trying to translate the Bible into that language, but without this crucial word that we just take for granted in the church to get today. So he asked one of the uh, the, the guy's working in his house to come and help him with this. And he said, well, what, what word would you use for this? And he pulled a chair up and he sat in the chair and he lifted his feet off the floor and he said, what word would you use to describe what I'm doing here? And so the, the native guy used a word in their language that was to, to put your entire weight on something. That's what belief means, is to put your entire weight on something. And that's what it was for Paul. At that moment in time, he wasn't leaning on a what. He wasn't putting his weight on a what. He wasn't resting on a what. He was resting on a who. Now, I want to try and bring that to life for you slightly this morning. So I need a strong volunteer. Um, Let me see who looks strong. Andrew, would you come and help me with this? He's big and strong, so we're going to get him to help us with this. And, uh, and he's also sitting near the back, which means that I like to pick him up. Owen G, you're quite big and strong as well, and uh, looking like you're studiously taking notes, so do come and help me with this. Now, would you do me a big favor and just move this box of what over to the front of the stage? That's the one. See how you get on with it? I'm told it weighs an absolute ton. There it is. Yeah, brilliant. So, Owen, feel free to help. So here we have a what. Now, a what's brilliant, okay? So we've got loads of great books in here and, you know, really interesting hardback books with great titles like Ulysses and something else, which looks a bit weird actually. And, um, the, these aren't my books, no. Uh, great books. And let's just pretend with me, okay? Use your imagination that these are filled with theological insights and wisdom and great intellectual statements about the world and God and philosophy and how he works. And yes, this one's called The Royal Box. I don't, I don't know. These are just some books that someone got for me. So um, let's pretend with me that these are great theological books. They're the great what's that Paul would have known. And so um, w- would you just help me? Would you just... Uh, you know, have you ever done that game where you, you lean your weight backwards on someone and they catch you from behind? There's a really good stack of what, and it's all really good theological content and interest. Would you mind just falling back on it and letting it catch you? Yes. But it's it's what is brilliant. It's great content, great wisdom, great insight, great theology. It's not comfortable. No, that's a fair point. And if you were to fall on it, um, there is a good chance that we would have to sue the trustees of the church. Yeah, so let's not do that. Okay, right. Good point, good point. Um, (laughs) yes where there's blame there's a claim no we don't want to go there right come forward a little bit and um, Owen I want you to stand behind now I haven't put you up to this but I am going to ask you Owen's a fine outstanding gentleman he is quite strong why don't we do it sideways so that you don't fall back into the chairs because that would just be a a disaster and we'd have to stop the message and then everybody would miss the rest of my points which are just so exciting I can't contain myself so um, feel free fall back on Owen any time that you're ready wonderful Will you step two paces towards me and then fall back on Owen? <laughs> Owen's not allowed to come any closer. Owen's like shuffling closer because he's a good man. Brilliant. That was excellent. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, you guys have been great. So thank you for your spontaneous applause for them. But I hope that demonstrates in life what can be very helpful at times. But you can't fall back on it when you need to. A who will catch you where a what can't. You may have heard of the uh, acrobat Charles Blondin. He was the first man to tightrope walk across the Niagara Falls. And the distance of the Niagara Falls, it's about the same distance as from the, you know, the, the shop, the Londis or One Stop, or whatever it is now, from that shop up to Iceland. It's about a quarter of a mile. right? That's how far across the Niagara Falls is. Now, I want you to imagine walking from the One Stop to Iceland on a, on a rope two inches thick. So that's part one. Then imagine that the roar of the water is surrounding you, the spray is coming up against you, and you've got to keep you—you know—the wind is buffeting you as you're trying to balance on this thing, and you're trying to get from well, that could have been awkward. You're trying to get from the one stop to Iceland, a quarter of a mile across. I imagine that would feel pretty hairy. Well, Blondin did it in the summer of 1859. And that was his sort of first trick. And then the next time he did it, uh, he did it with a camera strapped to his back, and he took a photo of the crowd, and everyone cheered. And um, the first time he did it, some of the onlookers fainted. Apparently, it was just all so dramatic. Uh, and then, then, he did it. Uh, then he did it with. Uh, he stopped halfway. He cooked an omelette and uh, wandered over, and he's like, hello, who wants a Niagara omelette? He got a bottle of wine uh, from the boat below him, and he set up a table on the tightrope. So he sort of got madder and madder with the different tricks that he would do, do, until in August of 1859, um, he pushed a, a wheelbarrow across with, uh, I think, 350 pounds of concrete in it. So a lot of weight in, in this wheelbarrow. Can you, It's a two-inch thick rope, okay? And he pushed this wheelbarrow across. And the, the crowd cheered, and he got to the other side, and he said, who believes that I could push a man across in the wheelbarrow? And the crowd went, yeah, we believe you can do it. And he said, any volunteers? And the crowd said, I think that guy over there will won- <laughs> No one volunteered, but they'd seen him do it. They believed that he could do it in principle. But when it came to the practice, no one was willing to step into that wheelbarrow. And that's the thing we've got to wrestle with in the Christian life, is a what is a brilliant thing. Great principles, great stuff over here. But if we're not willing to lean back and let it take our weight, then we're missing something from the experience that the Apostle Paul had and that he was encouraging Timothy to have a few weeks after the wheelbarrow attempt, Blondin appeared at the tightrope again. People must have just been, you know, what, where's he going to go next? This time he appeared with Henry Colcord on his back. Oh, Harry Colcord, sorry, was his manager. And his manager said, OK, I'm going to let you do it. And so he carried this guy across the Niagara Falls a quarter of a mile, balanced on his back. Now that is faith. Faith. That's leaning back on a who, not just relying on a what. You know, the thing that we're really looking for in these devotionals that we're doing at the moment together is not just to put more content in front of us. It's not just to build up our bookshelves with information with what Actually, that's why we're trying to put the reading at the start of the week, so that the rest of the week is released for us to pray, to talk to the Lord, to reflect, to really process and let what we've read about, what we've you know, seen in the Bible, what's been unpacked to us from the Bible, to let all of that sink into us, so that we're connecting with a person, so that we're leaning on a who, so we're connecting with a who. That's really what we're looking for these devotionals. So let me take this opportunity just to encourage you about that. Let this be a week where we're using these as a way to connect with a who, with a person. Steve said something really great last week which has uh, sort of echoed with me over over the past week. Steve was preaching last Sunday and he was talking about what it is when you pray and to really have that conscious thought that I'm not just praying or speaking or talking to a force in the sky, but I'm talking to a person about what's going on. And I have to admit that sometimes when I'm doing bedtime prayers with my children, that can be a challenge because I'm slightly making sure that my words are really simple, that I'm expressing myself in a way that they can kind of pray along with and and join in with. And so sometimes in that moment, it's been a challenge to feel like actually I'm praying and talking to a person. Maybe the parents will understand where I am with that. But that's been something that Hearing Steve talk about that as his experience and kind of connecting with a person, I've just felt like a great liberty to pray at bedtimes with my children this last week. It's been really excellent to kind of feel like, oh, I'm not just you know, blessing them as they go to sleep, but actually I'm really talking to a person about what's going on with my children. And that's been a, a really great experience in my last week. So I hope that we can all have similar experiences of finding that these devotions are connecting us to the person of Jesus Christ. Because that's how Paul was talking to Timothy. It's leaning back on a who, not on a what. The second thing I want to say is be safe, not sorry. Be safe, not sorry. You see, that's the point. If you trust a person, you'll be willing to give them your most valuable possessions. It was Blondin's manager who trusted him enough to put his, literally put his life in Blondin's hands hovering above the Niagara Falls, Waterfall. At this moment, I've entrusted my phone, wallet, and car keys to Dave Shearer because I don't like having too much clutter in my pockets when I'm speaking on a Sunday morning. So I trust Dave. Dave's looking at carrots to see if she wants to buy anything, but that's fine. I trust her too. It's what? Who would you trust with your most valuable possessions? Because Paul says to Timothy, I know that what I've entrusted to him He is able to guard. Paul says he's talking about his own life, both his physical life on earth now, but also his spiritual life, his future in heaven with the Lord. He knows at this time that he's probably about to die. He writes later in the letter that he's being poured out like a sacrifice, like a drink offering. So he's very conscious of that. And yet there's great peace as he writes those words. I know who I'm trusting my life, my future to. If you had something really valuable, I wonder what you'd do with it to keep it safe. If you had something worth approximately $20 million, where would you hide it to keep it safe? Just talk to your neighbor quickly and say, oh, if I had that really valuable thing, here's where I would put it to keep it safe. Now, depending on how much you trust them, obviously, so feel free to you know, not give away the farm. Is that my water? So you've got that thing, it's worth 20 million dollars, 16 million pounds thereabouts, and you've got to keep it safe. Where would you hide it? Would you hide it under your mattress? How many people would hide that thing under their mattress? Some some of you are thinking about it, right, well I'm going to visit your house, no, (laughs) just in case. I don't know if you saw in the news this week in America, in Massachusetts, the police found $20 million hidden under a mattress. Did you read that story? So, some, some people did. So they um, saw a guy in a restaurant they'd been watching, and they saw him handed this briefcase that they suspected was full of money. So they followed him, and on the basis of that and the other evidence, they were able to search his apartment. Now, they thought he had like a, this... Uh, this briefcase of money, and they raided his apartment, searched the place, and were amazed to discover $20 million hid in this bed frame underneath his mattress. I mean, it's the first place you'd look, right? But that's, that's not even the biggest cash haul that they've had. Last year, in Miami, police found $24 million hidden in hidden behind a false wall in the attic of this house, Um, In in paint buckets, basically, they emptied whatever was in there and stashed loads of cash and then built a false wall, and in front of it, they put a statue of Lazarus. I don't know why, (laughs) Lazarus particularly, (laughs) but that is who they chose to put in front of this false wall, hiding $24 million. People hide valuable things in all kinds of strange places. They were trying their best to keep safe that thing that was most valuable to them. And just like Paul, before he was a Christian, they were relying on their own ability to do that. Because that's how Paul was. Before he was a Christian, he had a lot of what? He had a lot of knowledge, a lot of understanding, a lot of religious background, a lot of religious insight. But he didn't have a who. And so as he writes to Timothy, he's able to say where he's come from and where he's gone to in terms of not leaning on a what, but leaning on a who to keep safe his future and to keep safe that next generation that he's raised up in Timothy. The most valuable thing he had was his life, and he wasn't about to entrust it to just anybody to hide under the mattress or behind a false wall. And you know, the challenge for us as we read his experiences and get those into our thinking is how much of my life am I hiding behind a false wall? How much of my life am I keeping hidden for myself How much of my life am I trying to stash under the mattress in the hope that I'll keep it safe with my own agenda, my own plans, my own outlook, my own perspective, my own expectations? And how much of my life am I saying, hey, Jesus, I trust you with this whole thing? The Christian life isn't like an apple pie where you get to kind of carve it up and have right, a slice over here and I'll trust Jesus with these pieces, but these ones I'm going to keep for myself because I don't trust him with the whole thing with the whole pie. You now the Christian life is one where we go, God, I, just, I trust you with this whole thing. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my future. I trust you with my plans. I trust you with my hopes. I trust you with my dreams. I trust you how I spend my time. I trust you with my expectations of what life is going to look like. The whole kit and caboodle is what we hand over to him and say, I know who you are. And because, Jesus, I know who you are, I know I can trust you with the whole thing. That's how Paul was writing. So the challenge for us is how much are we like Paul and how much are we like the guys trying to stash bits under our mattress because we want to play keepy-backy. The last thing I want to share about is show, not tell. Show, not tell. See, the Christian life is show, not tell. And Paul's really able to say to Timothy, those things you heard from me, He doesn't say to Timothy, those things you read in books. He doesn't say to Timothy, those things you picked up at Bible school. He doesn't say to Timothy, those things you heard about on God TV. He doesn't say to Timothy, those things you listened to on the Hillsong album. He doesn't say that. Those things might be good and helpful at times, but what he says to Timothy is, the things you heard from me, the things you heard from me. As a person, later on in the letter that Paul writes, he says to Timothy, you know my lifestyle. He says to him, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions and my sufferings. And yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. You see, he and Timothy traveled together for a number of years. They probably shared rooms together. They probably shared cabins on boats together Timothy saw Paul when he was preaching to the crowds. He saw him when he was sharing in the home. He probably heard him having his devotion in the morning and praying on his own because if you're sharing a room, where else do you go? He would have known all kinds of things about Paul's life and lifestyle that no one else saw or would have experienced. And Paul was confident to be able to say to him, you know what I was like. You know my lifestyle. You know how I was. Up front in ministry from the platform, And behind the scenes, when it was just the two of us talking with the the guys on the ship, you know my lifestyle. And because you know that, live like that. Because you know that, follow that example. I heard a pastor in the States sharing on this passage one time. And he's from Louisiana, which you'll know is one of the very hot, humid um, parts of uh, of the United States. And he was sharing that he, he read this and it brought such conviction on him about the having everything in his lifestyle ordered in a way that was right and, and noble and, and correct and in a way where he, he wouldn't be ashamed if one of the young men in his church saw what his lifestyle was like outside of the Sunday meeting. You know, he, this brought such conviction on him that he started returning the trolleys to their right place in Walmart. <laughs> Hallelujah. And... Uh, I think that's brilliant, because it's just another reason why I shop at Aldi. Because then if you do the right thing, you get your pound back as well. It's brilliant. Why wouldn't you love that? And uh, So in Louisiana, of course, it's a very hot, humid state. And so most of the time, people would sort of go into the store, nice air-conditioned environment, get the stuff in the trolley, head back out to the car, get everything into the car, and then get into the air-conditioned, controlled environment as soon as they possibly could, leave the trolley, wherever it is, and then just you know, get out of there. And somewhere for this pastor, he was like, "Well, wow, that's just not right. That's just laziness. That's just an incorrect way of doing things. That's just unrighteous." And so he started getting into this habit in his lifestyle, where he'd like, oh, I'll "Take this trolley back to the place where it goes." And you know, I'm not preaching against the trolley levers in the building this morning. I'm, you know, there's grace for you, obviously. Um, but he just had that conviction that every area of his life had to line up because he wanted to be able to say, like Paul did with confidence you know my lifestyle you know there's nothing out of order there's nothing out of line there's no unrighteousness there's nothing hidden there's nothing that i'm holding back in this you know my lifestyle and again i I find it such a privilege to be in this church where we we've received that teaching and we model that and we live that in our city groups i'm sure i've shared it a number of times how much of a blessing it is and i said earlier pastor clive my father-in-law even if he wasn't my father-in-law father-in-law, I'm convinced he would still be my pastor. He was my pastor before um, he very graciously let me marry his daughter. Uh, and, and, and I don't know if you caught this over Christmas. Did, did anyone hear on the news that Apple have brought out a new product? Did you guys hear about this? It's, um, it's called ClivoVision. And uh, it's a virtual reality headset in which any user putting it on Sees the world as Clive sees it. Wouldn't that, be you, wouldn't that be awesome? Some of you guys aren't convinced, but I personally think it would be brilliant. So, you know, you go down to the store and you're like, I'd like a box of clive Ovision, vision please. Oh, yes, of course, no problem. That'll be $49.99. Great. Okay. And suddenly the whole world is seen through the eyes of Clive. Glory. Um, <laughs> but sometimes that is how the Christian life should be. That's how it is. You know, when... I feel like there's kind of three heroes in my life when I'm faced with decisions that I'm not quite sure what to do. I will literally say, what would my dad do? What would Pastor Caesar do? Or what would Clive do? And as far as possible, I'll reach into my toolbox and I'll say, well, I've seen Clive do it like this before when he was in a similar situation. I'm I'm stuck on this one. Well, I think I've heard Pastor Caesar share a testimony about what he did in this circumstance. Or, you know, I remember my dad saying something like that to me and it just feels like that's the right way to approach this situation. And that's how the Christian life should be. Yeah, we love the what, we love the books, we love the teaching, we love all of those things. But sometimes in something Clive says regularly, if we need Jesus with flesh and blood to stand in front of us and say, yeah, but do you really want to do it like that? Yeah, but is that the right way to go on this occasion, my son? We need someone to stand in front of us and say, all right, well, I hear what you're saying, but look, put these on, put on some Clivo Vision, and you'll be able to see things in just a slightly different perspective that's really going to help you. Just the other day, uh, Andy was sharing in, in cell group on Thursday night, in Citigroup on Thursday night, um, one of the guys in his cell was talking to him about some decisions facing him, and he, there were sort of two paths that he could go down. And, you know, path A had lots of good things on it, and path B had some... There was sort of merit on, on both paths. And, and Andy's wisdom to him was, well, you need faith for whichever option you choose. And he shared that, and I thought, oh, that's just exactly the kind of thing Clive would say. Isn't that brilliant? I thought, that's just this, the heart and spirit and practically the voice of Clive Harding, speaking from another man's lips. That's the vision. That's multiplication. That's how it should be when we're doing this thing right. I heard that on Thursday night. So then Saturday morning, Karis and I were talking about something sort of option she's weighing up about a particular way to go. And she said, well, I'm not sure if we, if we do it this way or if we do it that way. And I said to her, well, you need faith for whichever option you choose. <laughs> uh, you know, I credited Andy in the footnotes. But um, <laughs> so we, we were sharing a, a, about that. So we said, oh, great, glory. And uh, then Saturday afternoon, we were talking with somebody and just, just some friends catching up about what, what, you know, some options they're thinking about. And we weren't like counseling them. We were just chatting. And uh, they were saying, well, we could do a bit like this or a bit like this. And Caris said, well, I hear what you're saying. Well, whichever option you choose, you need faith for that option. And so that was like the, the third time. And I just thought, wow, that is how it should be. From Clive, the spirit and atmosphere that he's about, the way of approaching the world and decisions and you know, just understanding God's pattern of thinking and how we decide on a path in life ministered into Andy at no great personal expense over the years. <laughs> From Andy's heart, just it's what's in him now. For me, being able to say, yeah, I can hear, that's just in the flow and the atmosphere of what my past is about, to Karis receiving it and sharing it with someone else. That's how it should be, because we know his lifestyle. And so the challenge for us is, is twofold, I suppose. The first question is, do I have someone like that in my life? Is there someone that I'm looking at and saying, hey, you know what, I'm stuck in this situation, but if I could just put on Clive Vision or City Group Leader Vision or whatever it might be, you know, have we walked with someone to the extent where we begin to understand that God's done such a work in their life that I can look through their perspective and it helps me line up and make practical decisions for my everyday life. Do we have someone like that in our lives? Because I do, and I'm blessed by it. And I don't want anyone to miss out on an opportunity to have that person. That's why we meet in city groups, So you can have that person who you know, who knows you, whose lifestyle you can see and recognize and understand from. Do you have that person today? And the other challenge, of course, is, are you like that pastor in Louisiana who received conviction about the trolleys in Walmart? and said, actually, this thing's out of order in my life. Would you be able to stand up and say, like Paul the Apostle did, you know my lifestyle. You know the way I live. You know the way I do things. You know the way I go about business. You know the way I go about things in my family home. You know my lifestyle. Come with me and I'll, I'll help you figure these things out. Is your lifestyle in a place where you can confidently say that, like the Apostle Paul did to Timothy, like that American pastor Learn to do through changes. Because if you're not, there's a great opportunity this morning to make a decision to be someone who's going to have a lifestyle that goes in the right direction. I want us to pause and pray and respond to this this morning. And there's plenty of opportunity in the week ahead to continue doing that as we get the devotional from, from the website. You know, the first thing I want to put out there is, do you know him today? Do you know who you've believed, not what you've believed? Because if you're here this morning and you know a lot of what, but not a lot of who, maybe you're missing out. If you know that kind of theoretically God's real and he might be able to help me by carrying me across in a wheelbarrow, maybe theoretically over here, but you've never actually got to a point in life where you've said, yes, I will trust you to carry me across this gap this morning could be your opportunity to do that just while we're here in that moment I want to pray for anyone who's here in that situation and give you a chance to respond Father I thank you that we can trust you and that you carry us across the gaps in life and for every person here who's never put their trust in you, who's never leant back on you in faith, I pray today will be their day. I pray today will be a day where people learn to lean on you and believe that we're not working by our own effort to get into heaven, but it's by leaning on you you carry us across the gap to the other side, to heaven to your eternal life. And if you want to make a response to that this morning, then come see me after. Come catch me. Come talk with me. I'd love to encourage you in that decision and in that choice this morning. The other thing i love to pray for is how much of the pie we've given over to the Lord and how much we're trying to hide under the mattress for ourselves. Why don't you stand with me? And if you want to today make that declaration, just really simply to say, God, today I'm giving you the whole pie then join with me. I'm going to say that and you can say it after me, okay? So, God today, I'm giving you the whole pie. I'm not a mattress stasher. Didn't that feel good? Yeah, that felt great. Hallelujah. It was in the spirit. (laughs) And you know, the second thing is really just to give people an opportunity to say, God today, I commit myself to following the leaders you put in front of me. And today, I commit myself to having a lifestyle where everything's in order and I can invite others to follow me. So if you want to be that person who has their whole life in order in such an extent that other people would do well to follow you, then just raise your hand where you are and I'm going to pray for you really simply. Holy Spirit, I thank you for all that you ministered in Paul's life to change him, to bring him to be the person that you could use and I thank you, you're the same person today, able to live through us and work through us and move through us to bring change so that our lives can be useful for you and your purpose and so I pray Holy Spirit for every person responding to you that you will move us forward that you will move our lifestyles on, our hearts on everything about us on so that we're good people to follow for life, for godliness, for success, for fruit in the kingdom. Amen.